This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. All right, welcome to The Savage Nation podcast. You know, sometimes things fall in place the way they should. Today's podcast was simply going to be about Trump's legacy or Trump's report card, really. I'd rather call this Trump's report card. But then Larry King died over the weekend, and I wrote a little eulogy to him uh, on Twitter. I'm going to have some comments on Larry King. And then something fell in place. We found an interview Larry King had done with me in 2017 where he calls me, you're the father of Trumpomania. Are you happy with it? What do you mean make America great again? Isn't America great enough? That kind of thing. We have this for you, and it's a retrospective on some very important things, by the way, that we, we really need to talk about before they get uh, forgotten. And the biggest thing, of course, is the legacy of the Trump presidency, which will be seen in another perspective after we see what these communists do to this country and the hate that they, they, they uh, disperse. You know, as we look back on the first week of the Biden presidency, we already see that vindictiveness is there and the chaos he is causing his first actions on his first day would overturn many trump policies one of those was stopping the keystone xl pipeline you may think eh, not a big deal but the fallout is a big deal thousands of members of the pipe fitters union that endorsed biden will be out of work his stupid action caught canada by surprise and now canada's upset because they were counting on it to sell their oil and get it to american ports New Mexico was counting on much of these jobs, and now New Mexico will have a devastating, devastating effect on their jobs and their economy. That's already the destruction of the Biden presidency. That's only one example. But he also destroyed women's sports by allowing transgender men to compete. Biden also dishonored the National Guard by forcing them to sleep on the floor of a cold garage. And listen to this one. Now the great Biden says, yeah, there's nothing I could do about COVID. That's after telling us Trump was a loser, a failure, he caused COVID, he caused the disease to spread. If he's elected, he'll save us. Now he says, you know what? I can't do anything about it. You've been had. And that's why it's very important to examine the true legacy of the Trump presidency, the real one, not the one put out by the vermin in the media. In 2017, I wrote a book called Trump's War. We're going to review that chapter by chapter in a short way and see what Trump's report card says he accomplished. I also have to address the death of Larry King. Why? Larry was nice to me the few times I met him, but he was also an icon in broadcast media. And he always treated me very fairly. In my early days as a writer, I distinctly recall going on a 10-city book tour with one of my early books, and I do not recall which book and uh, going to Washington, D.C. to be on the great Larry King show. 
He had this great radio show across the country. Well, so I go in the studio. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. But, you know, he was an icon. Remember who he was at the time. So I sat down with him prior to the so-called interview. And we started to chat. He was a very congenial guy from Brooklyn. I'm a congenial guy from the Bronx. He was much older than me. I guess well over 10 years older than me or about 10 years older than me. But he looked older. I always looked younger. And I said, did you read the book or something like that? He said, no, I never read the books of my guests until I sit down with them. I said, why? And he said, well, it becomes a more natural interview. I ask them sort of like a man on the street, like, what's your book about? Why'd you write it? What's in it type of thing? And then he asked very acute questions. It was in the health area. I do not recall what the book was. We'll have to look it up on YouTube and see if it's there. So that was the first memory. Very nice interview, not nasty. And I've had others that were very nasty in those years. Kurt, like, you know, dismissive. He was very pleasant from beginning to the end. Okay. Clock speeds forward many years. About two years ago, I'm in Glendale, California, where Larry does his or did his uh, television show, Politicking with Larry King for Aura TV. Beautiful little studio in its own building in Glendale. And I was there to do a pilot for a television show for the same production company so prior to the uh, show larry came out in his makeup and he introduced himself to me to my assistant to, to my son to the, my son's friends very nice posed for pictures wasn't curt had time for all of us so you say what's the big deal what's earth shattering about it the answer is in the details and the small things. As I told you once before in the Savage Nation, when I was honored to be invited to fly on Air Force One, I did not know if I would meet President Trump at the time. But after about 20, 15, 20 minutes in the air, I was told he will see you now. So I'm not going to tell you the whole you know, hot dog story again. I'm introduced to the president in the flying Oval Office, the most powerful man in the world. And I had not eaten all day. And he had not eaten all day. He gave a big speech down at a fundraiser in Palo Alto. So he asked his valet to bring him out two hot dogs. The two hot dogs arrive, and my eyes must have darted at the hot dogs. And he must have seen I was hungry. And the president said to me, would you like one? Now, I want you to understand something. He said, what's the big deal? You judge a man by the small things, not the big things. He saw I was hungry, offered me one of his own hot dogs. He had the valet bring another plate. He, he picked up with tongues, a hot dog, gave it to me. Wait, listen to this. Then he says to me, you want mustard or ketchup? I said, ketchup, I don't like sugar. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because you can tell more about a big man by the little things than you can about the big things. The big things they can fake. You can't fake the little things. He gave me half his lunch, and then he gave me a choice between mustard or ketchup. Again, a generous man, a sensitive man, President Trump. So, again, it's the same thing with Larry. It was the small things, the congeniality, the posing with pictures that told me more about him than the big things. And that's all you shall ever know until the day you die. Michael Savage, a host like no other. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. When Trump's war came out, Larry invited me to an interview at his studio in Los Angeles. You're going to hear what Larry King and I talked about. First, we talked about the article about me coming out in Salon magazine, calling Michael Savage the godfather of Trumpomania. Larry said to me, what do you mean you're the godfather of Trumpomania? And then we talked about 100 days into Trump's presidency. We talked about what's wrong with the fairness doctrine, the Republican health plan, about Steve Bannon. I remember Larry said to me, what do you mean make America great again? Isn't it great already? I said, no, Larry, it could be greater. We then discussed getting back to rebuilding infrastructure. Privatization is the key, as I said, to rebuilding infrastructure, not public jobs. We talked about General Mattis, the fake Russia collusion. Remember, this is in 2017. And I said to Larry King, Russia is a natural ally with America against ISIS. This is all in this interview. It's a historic interview by Larry King. Listen. You've been called the godfather of Trump mania. Are you a Trump maniac? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, those words were written by a very, very fine liberal reporter and published in the Salon magazine, which was a a liberal publication. And the man is a a, a very strong, real liberal, not a crazed progressive who beats people up with sticks. And he said that as a man who came from the working class background, he started listening to me years ago in New York on WABC. And he actually listened to the message of me appealing to the middle American, you know, who was left behind. And he said it was my message that Donald Trump picked up from my radio show that launched him into the White House. And he, he called it Trumpomania. All right, well, uh, it's almost 100 days. What do you make so far? Unfortunately, the obstructionists have blocked almost everything he has tried to do. Whether you agree with his policies or don't, and I'm sure you don't agree with many of them, uh, he has been, unfortunately, not very successful in getting many of his ideas across. However. I have to remind people that from a conservative point of view, had Hillary won, I know you'd be happy today, it would be a different landscape right now. She was going to go after the First Amendment through the so-called Fairness Doctrine, which would have had me taken off the air, for no, example. No, I, cl- I agree with the Fairness Doctrine. I live with it all those years. You have to be fair. What's wrong with that? That's not the Fairness Doctrine. It was the Fairness I live with it every year on the radio. Every year. No, no. The Fairness Doctrine's different, Larry, today. They would say that for every comment, for example, that I make a conservative, there has to be a counterpoint for liberal conservative. What's wrong with that? Well, do you have a conservative every time you make a statement, making a conservative statement? I don't don't make statements. I interview honestly. And then when I interview liberals, I'm just the same as when I interview conservatives. Well, let's go to MSNBC today. Uh, Rachel Madcow comes up with this fake story that Trump's not going to pay taxes. Then the thing is released. I mean, MSNBC has lost all his credibility. No, did she say so, he's not going to pay taxes? I, yeah, I they made it sound like it no, was going to be a revelation that. that he beat everyone on taxes. No, that was, it was a fact. two-page thing where he get 1%. It was a lot of hullabaloo Larry, over nothing. You know, I agree even with her you. sister network, CNBC, turned on them because it was such an embarrassment to NBC. He paid 25%. Comcast paid 24%. Obama paid 90%. And the Bernie Sanders, the uh, socialist, paid 13%. You, you, what, what's your assessment of it? You, he's been trying to stop, but you agree that McConnell did the same thing to Obama. 
We'll McConnell stop him at every turn. We want him to fail. We will not succeed at anything, right? Well, Ryan said that I will not support him. Then McConnell is on record saying no tax deal this year, no wall, blah, blah, blah. So if you want to look at it from that point of view, his greatest enemies, by the way, in Trump's war, as said on the Drudge Report, Savage, Republican traitors blocking Trump. The Republicans are a bigger obstruction than the Democrats right now and because why? they truly do not want change, Larry. And why? They don't want the change. Why are they against them? You know, Larry, when you've been making so much money and you're rewarding your donors so well for so long, you don't want to upset the apple cart. You don't want to rein in the federal government. You don't want to uh, cut back on spending. They like to feed at the trough, the rhinos, so to speak. So they're a bigger problem because they pretend that they're on his side when they're really not on his side. But they've got a health plan. Is he supporting? I'm not clear. Is he supporting Ryan's health plan or not? Trump. No one knows. It's such a confused mess. I have a solution to the health care problem, what is which it? I talked about for two days. I like single Larry, payer. You don't like single payer. Here's my solution. You ready? Simple. See if it works for you. When I turned 18, I had to get car insurance. They wanted a very high rate because I was a teenager getting a license. And most teenagers get into more accidents than middle-aged men. So my insurance rate was going to be very high. I went to my father who was paying a low rate. And I said, Dad, this doesn't make sense. Why are they charging me more? Why are they putting me into an assigned risk pool? He said, because statistics show teenage drivers get into more accidents. Right. I, had to pay the, I had to pay the higher tab till I showed that I wasn't going to get into accidents. What is wrong with the idea of putting high-risk individuals into high-risk insurance pools? Why should everyone pay the same amount? Let's say you're in a high-risk profession. You're a deep-sea underwater welder. You're at a high risk of getting injured. You should pay more than an old lady who goes to church three times a day. And, and doesn't work in such a profession. As my friend, the late Walter Eulen used to say, money is not the only thing. Health is 3%. <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> okay, you think this whole plan is going to pass? No, I think it's dead in the water. What do you think of Steve Bannon? <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. I don't know, Stephen. However, I have said on the radio, and I'll say it again on Larry King, that while Stephen's philosophy is similar to my own, it's very patriotic and nationalistic, which is what I've been preaching for 22 years, borders, language, culture. I think he misled the president in going too fast and too hard in the wrong direction. He should have, he should have focused on domestic policy first. I try to get that message to the president. Stop with the Brexit and stop with, the, with what's in the international sphere. Let's go out and take some of your billionaire friends and invest in rebuilding a steel plant in Western Pennsylvania and say America is back again and show that steel plant being rebuilt. Jobs in West Virginia, jobs in Pennsylvania. That's what I would have advised, but no one asked for my opinion. But how do you undercut the prices of steel from other countries, which they pay less, so they, they charge you less, so why should well, the manufacturer pay more? And because we want you, America's patriotic, but the guy who owns the factory, the guy who orders the steel will pay the least. Yes, that's a very good point. But if you if you add into that equation, the out of work coal miner, the out of work steel worker, the out of work iron worker, and then see how much wait how much we are paying through taxes, through welfare, through rehabilitation, through job training, if they're taking that or drug treatment, many of them become drug addicts or alcoholics. The steel isn't really cheaper. If you take in the cost of the social costs on top of the additional cost of U.S. steel, 
it'll come out less than it will buying it from South Korea. We've got to rebuild the infrastructure here, Larry. The Midwest is hollowed out. Look at our bridges, roads and tunnels. A disaster. Yeah, of course. But Obama tried that and the Republicans rejected it every time. You got to admit that, Michael. Come on. Well, there's a difference here, though. You're asking a very important question. Trump said he's going to do a trillion dollar uh, infrastructure plan. How does it differ than Obama's stimulus plan of a trillion dollars, right? In my book, Trump's War, I have a whole chapter on privatization. Give you a quick example. In the East Coast, everyone's driven on a turnpike, right? We turnpike. Where does the word turnpike come from? Pike is the same thing as a a gate that goes up and down. After the Revolutionary War in this country, all roads were built with private investment, Larry. They were toll roads. Toll roads. That's where it came from. The pike went up, turnpike. It went up and there you paid your toll and you went, went on your merry way. So it would be a big difference if his billionaire supporters built some of these roads and highways at the lowest possible cost, because they're businessmen, as opposed to the highest possible cost, which is what we have now, with the infrastructure construction costs going to a shady characters to who doing government bidding. So what I'm saying is, if we rebuild the infrastructure, Larry, with private investment in some of these things, a new bridge, a new tunnel, a new road, that's a way to solve the problem without increasing taxes. And how do you put a limit on how much the guy makes from charging the toll on the private road? Supposing it's paid back in two years, does he stop charging? I don't know. Never thought about it. Uh-huh. We'll have to think about it. <laughs> why, why should he why make stop, money after that? Stop? Do they ever pay off? The, have they ever paid off the George Washington <laughs> no. Bridge, Larry? All right, are you concerned? Have they paid off the Holland, Larry? Have they paid off the Holland Tunnel no. yet? Okay, we got a lot of things to get into. It's a hell of a book. You're always on target, Michael, whether people agree or not. Because you, you listen, at least you listen. You're to fair. I always That's listen. Different. Okay, uh, what do you think? Uh, uh, Defense Secretary James Mattis said, "If you don't fund the State Department fully." And they're trying to cut it 30%, I think. Then I need to buy more ammunition ultimately. Think he's right? I don't know what the ammunition has to do with the State Department. Well, because if you don't support diplomacy, you're going to have fighting. I think that Mattis is a little too um, internationalist for my taste. I know I'm not supposed to criticize any of these generals, but I don't think he's the right, 100% the right man for the right job. I don't agree with him. I think the State Department is wholly overfunded largely over-bureaucratized, too many employees. It's a government unto itself, and I think it needs to be cut drastically. I think Mattis is wrong. Are you concerned about the Russian story and Trump? Everyone's a Russian spy. My father came from Russia. I guess I'm a Russian spy. No, are you concerned that obviously I, I, I had a, so I had there a celebrations all over Russia when he was elected? Day, I, had a, I had a blinz the other day. I think maybe I was secretly uh, spying on America for the Russians. Nonsense is a nonsense story. How do you know? Why did Russia suddenly, Larry, come on, why did Russia suddenly become the bad boy and our enemy? For years, in the first years of the Obama administration, we were getting along with Russia. Yeah, because... They were our best friend. uh, Putin did not like Hillary. She was hawkish, too hawkish for him. And he supported Trump. There were celebrations all over Russia. I don't blame them. I really don't blame them for celebrating. So why shouldn't we be be concerned if Russia is kind of our enemy? They're not our enemy. The last thing we want on Earth is a superpower as a new superpower as our enemy. Larry, Russia is our natural ally against ISIS, the worst scourge since since Hitler. The only reason ISIS is on the run in the Middle East is because of the Russian Air Force. 
We were doing nothing. Obama was faking it. He did nothing against ISIS. Dragged his heels. So there's uh, there's uh, nothing about Russia. If what if you what if you found out that Russia got involved in our election? Don't tell me as an American you would not be pissed. I don't know that they did. No, but we if, know they, this, if they did, this we know. We know this. We know that Russia apparently hacked the DNC information. What do you think of that? But they did just that they, enough. So that in and, of, in and of itself, what do you think of that? What did they find out by hacking? Wait a minute, the hold DNC? it. What do you think of them hacking? They it? found out that they were smearing Bernie Sanders and using his Jewish heritage against him. But what do you That's think of them out. hacking it? So they did us all a favor. They uncovered the lies of the Democrat Party. So it's okay if I hack your phone and find out something so I can reveal it about you. My Samsung TV is watching. Wait, I have to it? buy a. I have to buy a silk rope now to watch TV with my dog. If Russia hacked the DNC, it's okay. Right? I don't know whether it's okay. It's a, it's a done fact. I don't know whether it's okay. And by the way, every country hacks everyone else. You think that we're not hacking other countries? Okay, so if you catch someone speeding and he says everyone else is speeding, that's all right, right? No, it's not all right. But the British spy on us. And your friend Obama, by the way, went to the British intelligence services. It came out the other day. I don't think you saw the story. And he had them try to hack trump tower there are three sources reporting that he went to the british intelligence service and had them hack the, the trump tower they, what did they actually they deny it. they deny it okay fine uh, no the right. spy agency is going to admit it stay right there we'll be yes. we'll be right back with more of All michael right. savage here's the book trump swore his battle for america the savage nation it's savage on demand we found an interview Larry King had done with me in 2017. This was the last interview I did with Larry King. And it was on this very important conversation that we're having today regarding Trump's war and what Trump actually did for us as opposed to what the liars in the media told us he didn't do for us and what he did to us. We discussed Trump's new travel ban against Muslims from terrorist generating countries about the wall in Mexico, what it means to be a proud nationalist and a strong conservationist. Finally, we discussed global warming, which Larry knew nothing about, and my point of view from the point of view of being a trained scientist with a real doctorate. Let's listen. My guest, one of my favorite people, Michael Savage, the book Trump's War, his battle for America. Okay, what do you think about the uh, new travel ban? I think it's wonderful. Why? Do you have to be a genius to understand that almost every terrorist event on the planet is being conducted by Muslims? Are we not allowed to say that anywhere on the earth? Everybody knows that. Here's something that a Muslim scholar wrote. It's true that not all Muslims are terrorists. We know that. Most of them are law-abiding citizens who want to raise a family and be left alone. But he wrote that it's also true that almost all the terrorist events are conducted by Muslims. Do we have to have a collective insomnia, collective, uh, what do you call it, when you can't remember anything? I can't remember what I'm trying to remember. Collective amnesia. We forgot already what happened in San Bernardino. Then two Muslims went on a rampage and shot their co-workers. We forgot the Orlando shooting of the gay nightclub. Go all the way back. We can't just close our eyes to the realities of this. The wall is not barring Muslims. It's barring Mexicans. And That's Honduran. another story. Well, here's my position well, on that. How it's, many illegal immigrants rape and commit crimes every day in America? Come on, Michael. You're in the wrong. You're, not, you're putting me in the wrong category on Mexicans. I happen to get along great with Mexicans, and I have a different view on Mexico. So what's the wall for? Well, let me finish. In, in Trump's war, I talk about the wall. Now, 
first of all, I have a different opinion as expressed in this book than you might expect. I didn't say throw them all out. That's absurd. I work with Mexicans, El Salvadorans, Guatemalan, the beautiful, beautiful people. Beautiful. Hardworking, hardworking. When I see bricks being laid on a, on a street and I look there and I hear them talking Spanish, I remember being in New York when I saw Sicilians doing the same thing talking Sicilian. Right. So it's no different to me. Right. Same right. family values, identical. I don't see any different. So I say, let's split the difference here. Let us understand that the people who are here working at hard jobs and they work like no one I've ever seen in my life. You let them stay here. We are talking about deporting the criminals. Larry, I don't know if you know the fact, one third of all prisoners in America are illegal aliens. They don't belong here to begin with. So start by deporting the prison population that's not, that are not citizens. Trump's trying to get rid of the bad guys. He's not deporting the average cook or busboy or gardener. Uh, what, by the way, is anything Trump proposed that you don't like? Uh, yes, a few, a few things. I think his health care plan is Obama's plan. Not much different. I mean, it's kind of the same thing rewarmed. I don't see any much of a change there. All right. Don't tell me you're in favor of buying guns for mental patients. Of course not. They Who would be in signed, favor of that? Obama, oh, Trump just signed it. I'm sorry. I don't want mental patients to have guns. I've been on record on that. That's crazy. But wait, let's include people on psychotropic drugs like Prozac. Do you know how many of these mass shootings, Larry, you want to go into it? It's one of my specialties. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go into how. One of the specialties of areas that I've studied in my Ph.D. work was this area of psychotropic drugs. And the fact of the matter is most of the mass shootings in schools are conducted by people who are on, you know, serotonin uptake re-inhibitors, meaning, uh, you know, that kind of Prozac-like drug. You, you, you hail the patriots who elected Trump. Does yes, that sir. mean if you didn't vote for Trump, you're not a patriot? That's right, and I want you deported, Larry. <laughs> I want you to go open a bagel shop in Romania. Michael. No, of course not. That was anti-Semitic, not, it's, Michael. It's, that it's, was anti-Semitic. What, Romania? No, what, the way you framed it. <laughs> oh, you really are paranoid, Larry. Come on. You're from Brooklyn. I'm from the Bronx. You have a sense of humor. I think you didn't lose it all these years in L.A., did you? <laughs> so do you feel do you feel the people who oppose Trump are anti-American? No, most of them are. Yes. Really? So you're a nationalist. Yes, I'm a proud nationalist. When my grandfather came in from Russia, he kissed the ground. I'm sure your grandfather did, too. Well, my when father did, become, did. When did. When did it become rubbish to love America? Why is it a crime? Nothing wrong with loving it, but the statement that my country, right or wrong, is still my country. No, if my country is wrong, I'm going to oppose it. I oppose well, I the Iraq that, war. I oppose the Iraq war. Right. My country fought it. But what if your country is right? Why can't then you support it? Then I support it then, too. Of course, it's own. But well, right or wrong good, is, is an opinion. Larry, you are actually politically a true liberal in the sense of the JFK liberal era. That's what you are. You're a true liberal. I have a friend in San Francisco, one of the top antitrust attorneys in the world. I could mention his name, but I won't. You'll know the name immediately. A liberal. His whole family. His father was the mayor of San Francisco. You'll know who I'm talking about. All right. You probably know him. I know. I knew the mayor. A true liberal. He hates progressives. He said they're the violent fascists of our time. He loves my show. He said all the liberals in this city who are real liberals love your show because you use logic to present your ideas. We may not agree with you at the end, but at least we learn because you're presenting your ideas with facts to back them up. Now, that's true liberalism. Very few of you are left, Larry. Uh, how about very few moderate Republicans, too, right? 
I'm not a moderate Republican. I know there are no moderate Republicans. I'm not even I'm not a Republican, Larry. Don't please don't insult what me. What are you? Groucho Marx said I would never join a club that would have me as a member. That's number one. I don't like Republicans. I don't like their their check pants. I don't like their golf club mentality, the country club mentality. That's not me. I'm an independent is what I am. And my position is very well. I'm a great animal rights supporter. What does that make me? Save the whales. I had a whole show on stopping the killing of whales. What do you? I'm a strong. I'm a strong conservationist going back forty years. What does that make me? So then you the, can't define it. Do you at least agree with ninety-seven percent of the scientists that we have climate change caused by carbon dioxide? No, totally wrong. They have it upside down. Carbon dioxide is a product of climate change. I've studied the data. I have a PhD in hard sciences. No, no, they're wrong. Ninety-seven percent of scientists lie. are all lying. I'll tell you what, I'll close the show by telling you what I told Donald Trump as I left the dessert with him in Mar-a-Lago. I said, here's the sum total of the argument on global warming. Mr. President, we had five ice ages that came and went. What made the ice melt? This was before industrialization. His face lit up. He said, thank you. I got it. Larry, it's simple. It's fifth grade logic, but so, it's irrefutable. So these, Five ice ages, these the earth is covered with ice, then it disappears. Why? It wasn't the Model T Ford that did it. 97% of scientists are wrong. Uh, yes, they're, they're government wrong. scientists. Michael Savage they, is right, Larry, and scientists come on, are wrong. They receive wrong. government funding. They're funded through the NIH. They're funded through all of this NSF. If they don't conform to the government line, they don't get funding, Larry. I know it very well as a former scientist. I know how this works. You're going to see changes soon oh. when the other side is allowed to present its evidence. Why the other side presents its evidence? They present their evidence. No. There's no, no, they are not funded at all. They're not allowed They're to be not funded. Scientists. They will not. Larry, I know the scientists. If you look into it, they do not fund any research that supports okay. any position other than the one they want the results of. Who is... So you're saying that... You are pro-carbon dioxide. You keep bringing it up. Larry, when you grew up, you want to talk about carbon dioxide? Without carbon dioxide, we'd have no plant life. Well, we learn carbon a lot. Dioxide, Larry, learn. carbon dioxide is actually good. It gave us the carboniferous period in geological history, which allowed the earth to have plants bloom and food to grow. Without carbon dioxide, we'd all starve to death. So, I mean, let's be realistic. Carbon dioxide is like saying Russians are bad. Carbon dioxide is bad. Larry, we got to put these things in context. It's not the carbon dioxide that is causing the slight warming. It is the fact that there's a slight warming that is producing the extra carbon dioxide. Look into that side of it. It's an alternate view of things. You got to look at that and see so, if it's wrong. So I'm glad that Michael Savage, Michael Savage today here on Larry King Now proves that 97% of scientists are wrong and he is right. Yeah. That's right. And if, and if Donald Trump hires me, I'll straighten out the science in this country and make it real science again. Not the political science that we have today, where these scientists do what the government wants them to say. I'd like, by the way, I'll go wherever the evidence leads. That's science. When you hear a statement like this, Larry, you know it's not scientific. The evidence is in. Everyone agrees that global warming is caused by man's horrible behavior. The first rule of science is that, no, all the evidence is not in. The minute you say it is in, it's no longer a scientific statement. Science. Science is based upon evidence that keeps emerging, and evidence keeps emerging. Uh, Michael, I'll make you a scientific statement that is a fact. Go ahead. The world is round. Okay. For hundreds of years and hundreds of years, the world was flat. If Michael Not Savage was, was on the air maybe in to your BC, ancestors, it's flat. Not to my ancestors, we always knew it was round. Maybe in your part of the world you thought it was square. None of us did. Michael, certain scientific facts, you accept Darwin? Of course, I'm a great student of Darwin. A lot of people don't agree with it. 
But I don't agree with them. Okay. <laughs> Trump doesn't agree with Darwin. But, but Larry, Darwin's results were based upon the evidence that he found as an independent scientist poking around in the Galapagos and elsewhere. Right. Today's science is not run like that, Larry. It's run off government grants. And unless you write a proposal of what your grant is going to, what your study is going to look like, they want the results in advance of your proposal. And unless they see the results written into the proposal between the lines, you're not getting the money, Larry. Big science is corrupt today, Larry. So all the countries that signed that treaty about global warming, they're all wrong. Larry, let's put this in context. We all want a cleaner earth. And nobody has worked longer and harder than I have to save the earth. Going back to 1975 when I published my first book on this subject called Plant a Tree. Larry, I have a long record of keeping the earth as pristine as we can and protecting animals. But I don't want to go along with the program just because that's what the government wants. Michael, I love you. I love having you on. The book is Trump's War, His Battle for America. Michael Savage, great having you with us. Thanks, Larry. Always a pleasure. I want to see you in Beverly Hills. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Trump's war. How did we do? How did we actually do now that President Trump is gone? In 2017, just as President Trump was taking office, my book, Trump's War, came out. In this book, which became a number one New York Times bestseller, actually a runaway bestseller, I laid out what battles Trump would be fighting. Always remember, I said if we got 10% of what Trump promised, we would be 110% better than if Hillary had been elected. Well, all that being said, let's see how we fared. Notice I did not say how he fared. It's how we fared. Because this was our agenda. The president said that he would fight for. Trump's war against the enemies within. What did I write? Quote, we will be fighting an entrenched establishment whose weapons of mass destruction are far more devious than those of King George III. Instead of cannons and muskets, the establishment uses corrupt media and an insidious network of violent agitators to wage a psychological war. Close quote. That was in Trump's war in 2017. Was I wrong? No, I wasn't wrong. Right away, Trump faced the Russia collusion hoax. For years, this went on, crippling his agenda with Republicans not even supporting him because they thought it was true and they didn't care and they didn't want his agenda on top of it all. And once it was clear that it was false, the Republicans finally jumped behind his agenda, but he lost at least six months of getting that agenda moved forward. Then he was impeached. Then violent mobs of black lives matter and Antifa thugs were sent into the streets, probably by the Democrat Party. And to this day, nothing has been done to stop them. It is true that Trump was able to root out some swamp dwellers, and he did expose how deep the swamp was. But on this battlefront, you would have to say he lost. About Trump's economic war, here is what I wrote in 2017. What do you think? Quote, he's going to try to restore the one thing the elites fear most, a level playing field for every American, unquote. Now let's look at Trump's economic war. That was another chapter in Trump's war. Here's what I wrote. Tell me what you think. He's going to try to restore the one thing the elites fear most, a level playing field for every American, unquote. Well, let's look at what he actually accomplished. Trump passed the biggest tax cut since Reagan. Americans did see more of their income, around $2,000 on average, staying in their pockets. He got rid of NAFTA, TPP, and negotiated a new deal with Canada and Mexico, more beneficial to the average American worker. 
He used tariffs to his advantage, making some countries bend to our will financially. He made European countries pony up more money for NATO. Remember that? They screamed and yelled all the way to the bank, but they put, it up, they put up the money for their own defense for the first time. He stopped climate regulations that were crippling our businesses as well as other financial regulations that caused a booming stock market, making many Americans' 401ks very fat indeed. But he also ballooned the deficit with huge spending bills, and that was even before COVID. That was terrible. The spending was terrible. He didn't get infrastructure taken care of either. You can blame the enemies within for a lot of that, but he bears some responsibility as well. On this battlefield, you could say Trump won, taking lots of ground, but at tremendous cost to the future financial health of America. There was then a chapter, Trump's war to repeal Obamacare. This one is complicated as well. We all remember the late night thumbs down John McCain gave voting against the skinny repeal of Obamacare, turning his back on promises he had made to his own constituents, his colleagues and to all Americans in a treacherous act. Remember McCain? But the president was able to get the individual mandate repealed, an act that effectively killed whatever Obamacare was in the first place. It now exists in name only. And the other downside is there is nothing to replace it with. You can blame this on the president. But the do-nothing Republicans bear much of the blame for this. On this battlefield, Trump led, but the troops did not follow. He won some minor skirmishes, but the real battle has yet to be waged. The next chapter in Trump's war was the war for our borders. This was the one thing that won him the presidency. He said we're going to build a big, beautiful wall, and Mexico is going to pay for it. We will build a great wall along the southern border. Mexico will pay for the wall. Remember that? But what happened? Did we get a wall? Not really. Last week, Trump was in Texas in front of some new wall that had been built. He claims 450 miles have been built. Well, some of that is new, but most of it is repaired existing wall. Did Mexico pay for it as he promised? No, we did. But he did get Mexico to put their troops at the border, which did cut down on illegal immigration at the border. Deportations were up. Illegal entries were down and major crackdowns were made on MS-13 gangs. He's done everything he can to support ICE and the Border Patrol. He also threatened to take away funding from Central American countries if they continued to send their people into the United States. On this battlefield, you could say Trump mostly kept his word and won the day, but he did not build that wall. Trump's culture wars. In this chapter, what did I write? I wrote this, culture to me is the character of a given society within its constitutional and legal framework. The laws are like the walls of a house or a fortress. They don't define what's inside them. They're built to protect what is inside, unquote. That's what I wrote in 2017. In the last four years, we've seen the fastest decline of American cultural values that we've ever seen. Gender and skin color now rule the day, and it is redefined every day. The media, academia, our political institutions, the music industry, Hollywood have all tossed American cultural ideals over the edge of the Grand Canyon. We seem to be at a place where we are losing everything we knew to be American. Big tech is now controlling what we can say and what we can think. 
And although most Americans want their power reined in, nothing was done to stop big tech. You can say Trump lost the culture battle. As a matter of fact, you can say he was one of the driving causes of the loss because of his actions on Twitter, which diminished the American intellect. I'm sorry to have to say it, but Twitter, his tweeting, did not do much for American culture except weaken it or possibly destroy it forever. The next chapter was Trump's war to restore the military, Trump's war against the war machine. These are very big and clear wins for Trump and for all of us. He reminds us constantly that when he took office, the generals told him how low we were on ammunition. Low on ammunition. That's what Obama had done to us. Obama had depleted our ammo. As a man who loves his nation, the president knows this requires a strong military. So he spent what was necessary to rebuild our military. At the same time, he was the first president in 20 years to de-escalate our war footing. Remember, he took troops out of Syria, out of Afghanistan, out of Iraq, and he never started a conflict. He ended them. These were battles fought well and to great victory. Trump was a man of peace. Wait until you see what happens under the Democrats. What are you going to do, blame him for it? Another chapter was Trump's war against the rhinos. Huh. When Trump took office, it wasn't only the Democrats he was fighting. It was the Republican establishment. Paul Ryan, remember him? Once the darling of conservatives, was a disaster for Trump as Speaker of the House. He dragged his feet on bringing any legislation to the floor which supported the Trump agenda. Ryan was praying that Russia collusion was true and that Trump would be removed from office in short order. Unfortunately for him and other rhinos, the Russia hoax was revealed for what it was, and the Paul Ryans of the Congress ran away with tails between their legs, either resigning or not running for re-election. With incumbents having a 98% chance of retaining their seats, the actions of these rhinos leaving office cost the Republicans the House of Representatives and gave us the monster Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. Maybe that's what they wanted. Eventually, Trump was impeached twice by this body of pygmies. You could say Trump lost his battle entirely. That is, his war against the rhinos cost him the House of Representatives as well. Trump's war to restore real science. That's a good one. One of the first actions the president took was to pull out of the Paris Climate Accords. Then he rolled back crippling environmental regulations such as the Obama mandate that if you had a puddle in your backyard, the federal government could claim that as a protected waterway. I happen to disagree with some of Trump's environmental policies, particularly on rolling back protections on endangered animals, on authorizing drilling in the Arctic National Reserve. And in the book Trump's War, I wrote an entire chapter on cleaning up the NIH and CDC. Unfortunately for all of us, we saw how badly these institutions were failing as the COVID pandemic hit. Now Dr. Fauci is the face of those organizations. He is still there. That is a huge failure of the president. He should have gotten rid of Fauci long ago. Operation Warp Speed was a scientific miracle. But the problems and the problem individuals within the NIH and the CDC still exist. We're all wearing masks and businesses are destroyed. That is a total failure and a loss in this battle. There is no science. It's all politics today. In the next chapter of Trump's war, it was Trump's war for the First Amendment. Trump exits his presidency banned from social media. Conservative platforms are being taken down from the Internet. Companies are cutting off donations to anyone related to Trump. The cancel culture is the new reality. This battle on the First Amendment, if it was even fought at all, 
was lost. He lost the entire First Amendment for all of us. And you can blame him in part. It happened because he would not stop tweeting. What about Trump's war for the Second Amendment from Trump's war? This was a strong one for Trump. Some major court cases were won regarding gun rights. He appointed three people to the Supreme Court who supposedly will decide the right way on the Second Amendment. Let's wait and see, and let's hope. Finally, there was another chapter, Trump's war against the deep state. This war started before he even took office, when Obama had the FBI and CIA spying on the Trump campaign, while at the same time accusing him of working with the Russians. He fought for years and eventually came up a winner in the Mueller probe. But deep state members were still embedded in the White House, leaking negative news stories to the press, most of which were proven later to be untrue. Then they impeached him with a phony whistleblower. Then when COVID broke out, the deep state worked from the inside to make it look as if the president's handling of the crisis was inept and dangerous, which eventually led to his downfall on election day. It's just what Chuck Schumer warned in January of 2017 when he said, let me tell you, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen of the Savage Nation, what's the verdict on Trump's war? How did we fare? I would say we got much more than we expected, but at the same time, we're much worse off than before he became president. That sounds like a conundrum, doesn't it? It isn't. It's not entirely his fault. He exposed the swamp for all to see. But these establishment and deep state types are so dangerous and embedded, it is almost impossible to beat them. Trump won some battles, but lost the war. Because mark my words, no one like him will ever be elected again if they have anything to do with it. And believe me, they have everything to do with it. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. Let's look at Trump's legacy together. Right now, he's a disgraced president, according to the vermin in the communist or internationalist media. They have smeared him on the Russia collusion story, which was a lie from the beginning, based upon the fake steel dossier. They could not get him on Russia collusion. They then waited and waited like the snakes that they are, like the pygmies that they are. And they got him with the big lie that he caused the pandemic to spread in America, which is another big lie. I will remind all of you, once again, those of you who care about the truth, that back in February, Trump banned all travelers from China. I know it for a fact because he had called me just when he had done it and asked me if he should ban travelers from Europe. I hesitated in my answer and I said, I'm not sure because it will destroy the economies of both Europe and America. So he banned travelers from China back in early February and recall that Nancy the crazy woman Pelosi was prancing around Chinatown in San Francisco telling everyone to go to Chinatown and eat dim sum. The media did not cover that. The vermin in the media did not cover that. So they couldn't get Trump on the Russia collusion lie. They couldn't get him on the uh, pandemic lie. But slowly but surely, they did get him on the pandemic lie. With the help of the pygmies in the liberal media or the internationalist media or the communist media, which is more appropriate, they pinned the tail on the donkey, or shall I say on the elephant, and they made Trump responsible for the pandemic, which was another gigantic Soviet-era lie. Now let's speed forward to the riots in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago. 
Does he bear any responsibility? Yes. Why? Well, he called for a rally, number one. I don't know what he needed the rally for. I guess it was to stop the steal, he said, to reverse the election, to make sure that the uh, uh, election was uh, analyzed again. That was an error. It was an error because the media was so aligned against him that he could not win. And then when the crowds arrived, and they were a large crowd, they were an army of American voters who had had enough of the vermin in the media, the vermin in the Democrat Party. 99.9% of those people were peacefully redressing their grievances as is permitted in the Constitution. Let me repeat that for those of you who don't even know. We have many, many rights in America, and amongst them is the right to redress our grievances. Burning and looting is not redressing our grievances. Beating up police is not redressing our grievances. That's for your friends in the Black Lives Matter and Antifa movements, the true fascists of our time. No, this was redressing our grievances in another way. And so people rightly went to Washington, D.C. And then what happened? A small group got out of hand, led by what we now know to be left-wing fanatics who led them through the glass into the uh, halls of Congress itself. That's right, one of them was arrested, but you wouldn't know that following the pygmies in the media, would you? So Trump could have come out once the mobs had risen to the level of threatening Congress, the halls of Congress, and told them to go home, but he did not. He bears some responsibility for that. But let's look at his overall legacy. We do know that he brought peace to the Middle East, not an insignificant accomplishment. In fact, a very significant accomplishment. And we should celebrate that because I can almost guarantee you as I stand here today before this great audience of the Savage Nation podcast that the Democrats, who are the party of war, will get us into a foreign war within one year. I can almost guarantee it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a man of peace, and I hope that the Harris administration understands that Americans do not want to go to war again. But let's go back to Trump's legacy. Trump was the general we elected to lead the fight against, you call it the swamp, the establishment, the corrupt media, whatever you want to say. I consider myself the lead scout, walking the point in front of the American people, letting you know what dangers lie just beyond the next bend in the road or over the next mountain pass. We all knew that we were up against an enemy that will stop at nothing to defeat us. Forget the Geneva Convention or any civilized rules of engagement. The evil forces that nearly destroyed this nation over the past eight years have done anything and said anything and destroyed anyone, including some of their own, to reverse the last election and finish the job by ushering in the Biden-Harris team of internationalists. And so from my vantage point on top of the highest mast in the land, I'm trying to report back from the front after four years of Trump. Well, it's been quite a ride, has it not? But what is his actual legacy? Do we actually know the history of our own nation in order to judge Trump's legacy? Well, let's go backwards. Because after that initial victory in Boston, the Americans were soundly defeated several times in Quebec, New York, Brandywine Creek, and Philadelphia. And so too have we suffered defeats ever since we elected Donald Trump. Many of those defeats were caused as much by rhinos and neocons, well, I'm repeating myself, 
as they were by the Democrats or the liberal media. Just like George Washington, Trump was only able to do so much with the troops at his command. Washington had the Minutemen militia romanticized by historians in the decades after the Revolutionary War as farmers and shopkeepers who would grab their muskets at a moment's notice and suddenly become soldiers who would fight the British. But in reality, those militia lived up to their names in a much less heroic way. They were rarely around much longer than a minute after the bullets started flying. But at least they ran from the battlefield simply because they were scared. Many rhinos in Congress simply took every chance they could to abandon America because they don't support our platform. Our platform. But despite everything that we were up against and are up against, the most propagandist media in world history, far beyond anything of the Soviet Union, with the social media today, they have more power than Pravda or Izvestia did in the Soviet Union. We're also up against far-left radicals who have taken complete control of the Democrat Party. The progressive brown shirts who increasingly act like Hitler's SA in fomenting violent rebellion in our streets and traitors among our own ranks. We've also won some victories. I'm here to report on both in the most objective manner I can and to inform you of the opportunities and dangers I see ahead on the Savage Nation podcast. Fans of the spoken word, welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book, see the movie. Well, today we had the Larry King eulogy with replays of some of my interviews that he did with me in 2017. They speak for themselves. The controversial part today is Trump's report card. Many of you will probably be unhappy one way or the other. I should say this is a, an interim report card because Trump's legacy will not truly be known until time passes. And the only way we will be able to truly evaluate the legacy of President Trump is when we see what the Biden team does to America and the world. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>